When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Just to give you a heads up, one of us is bound to say something not suitable for little ears. It is, after all, the one hour a day I spend away from my children. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, August 12th, the Bad Friends edition. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's nine, Oliver, who's seven, and Teddy, who's fantastic four. And we live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is eight, and we live in Los Angeles, California. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer for Slate. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Family. I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 16, and Harper, who's about to turn 14, just days away. And uh, we live in Arlington, Virginia. On today's show, we're answering a listener question from a parent who's concerned that one of her son's closest friends is actually a bad friend. What can she do to protect her son? Then we have some advice for a listener who would like to avoid talking about her daughter in front of her daughter, but that's tough when you're a single parent. On Slate Plus, we're celebrating the hot employment market by talking about summer jobs. What summer job did we have and what are we hoping our kids do? But first, as always, we're going to kick off the show with some triumphs and fails. Dan, this is your last show with us for a while. So tell us about that and then go first with your triumph and fail. Uh, yeah, so I'm headed away on book leave for the next six months. I'll be writing. I'll be working on a book. I'll be back to Slate in February. During leave, I'll be working on a novel that is supposed to be published in January 2023. Don't worry. I will definitely tell you all about it when the time <laughs> comes. So if you're concerned that you might not hear about it, I gotcha. But uh, before I go, I thought I better just do one more fail. Yeah. So if you've been listening since the very beginning of the show, <laughs> you've been hearing about Lyra since she was eight. And somehow now we are starting the college hunt. Oh, my gosh. I know. Oh. Uh, that is that is quite something to think about. I've had this philosophy that the only way to make the college admissions process not horrible is to be way ahead of the game. This is like a very dad philosophy. Really prepare, make a schedule, make sure that you're not freaking out and doing everything at the last minute. Like it doesn't have to be stressful to think about this early if you like set a set of very discrete tasks and just sort of slowly work your way through them so that the kid feels like, oh, there's a process that I'm engaged in. You know, start early, take it slow. So with that in mind, you know, Lyra's starting her junior year in high school this year, but we thought, We've got a few weeks at the end of the summer before she starts school. We don't have any other plans. Why don't we just like take a couple of days and just visit a couple schools here in Virginia? Just because I think that Lyra basically has like no sense of what 
different colleges are like, really. You know, I mean, she's barely mm-hmm. spent any time on college campuses. Yeah. So, you know, try and get her to a big state school, try and get her to a little liberal arts school, a school in a city. Who knows if she'll actually go to any of these schools, although she would have to win the lottery to go to a non-Virginia state school, but whatever. But like, just to give her a sense of what some of this is like, and we'll be so far ahead of the game that we don't have to worry about anything for months. So mm-hmm. yesterday I was like, oh, you know what? I bet schools will want you to book in advance now because of COVID for these tours. So I went online and started looking it up for our trip next week. And at UVA, all tours are booked until September. And at VCU, all <laughs> tours are booked until September. William & Mary isn't even doing tours right wow. now. So I was like, well, whatever. I mean, we can just go somewhere else fun. (laughs) We can just go somewhere else fun and look at schools there. St. Mary's in Maryland has no tours. UNC has no tours. Haverford, Swarthmore, Penn State, Pitt, and Carnegie Mellon have no tours. Emory, Brown, BU, University of Wisconsin, not doing tours. You can't just show up and walk around. Yeah, just go to the campus. We can, but like the number one piece of advice I've gotten from everyone who's gone through this is get the tour. Like... Walking around through campus basically teaches you nothing about the school and is not that engaging for kids. What they want is to hear from a student about what life is like there to like get them interested in what is going on. And that is currently unavailable. Go just talk to students. Literally, just <laughs> bother people. I mean, I know that's kind of hard right now. I agree. I love the idea of walking, of telling Lyra, Lyra, let's just go up to this college student. That's exactly what teenagers want to do in the company of their fathers. And then she would burst into flames. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's yeah. the dream. Love it. <laughs> no, but seriously. She okay. looks cute, Lyra. Go talk to her. Right. Look at him. Isn't he the sort of guy you would totally be interested in if you were old enough right, to find right. 19 year olds attractive? <laughs> Let's go talk to him. I feel like this was definitely pre-COVID advice. Like I, you know, like when are the tours coming back? We don't know. Well, the problem is the tours are happening. It's just that I signed on too late and I didn't book them in time. So the real lesson here is that my whole philosophy of college admissions is to take it slow and and not stress out. And then in my very first attempt to do something about college admissions, I didn't plan ahead and I tried to do things the last minute. When you noticed they were booked, did you book like in the future? Like, did you go ahead and grab a September fall weekend? No, because I got to figure out what weekend that is. But I will (laughs) do that. So I'll have so much time once I'm on book leave. <laughs> right. Because that's the, that's how the booking that's works. That's what you're supposed to use. That's it how for. the booking works. It's never going to be immediate. It's never going to be like, okay, here's this relatively soon timeline that I had. Now let's book it. It's not like the COVID vaccine slots. You're not going to like log on and be like, oh, they just opened up the ones from two weeks for now. Like <laughs> you have to do it now. Like that is, do you get it? Like that's. Well, now I know, now guys. You know. But I'm not giving up on the self-tour concept because, like, look, there's Me there's either. a combination of things. And I'm sure Elizabeth probably has some way better ideas on this. But I'll say as somebody who's never listened to a tour guide in her life, you know, I mean, the college tours were a little different. But, you know, the schools that you could just drive to that are right there, you can drive around the campus. You can observe things. You'll see what's going on in the student union. You'd see, you know, what kind of events and stuff maybe they used to have back when things were normal. Go find some of the kids on social media. That's where you'll find out where the real life is. You know, like look at the school's Instagram accounts and go look at some of the students that are engaging with it. Honestly, I would just cyber stalk. Like you don't even have to go to campus at this point. Just cyber stalk the kids online. They'll tell you everything that you need to know. That is extremely unappealing to me. The tours, like, yes, they're good. But I mean, 
as will come to no surprise to anyone, I gave college tours uh-huh. when I was at college. Yeah. And, you know, it's so... It's so, so did I. Scripted. Yes! So, believe it or not. <laughs> I do believe it. You give a great tour. But it's scripted, right? Like, you're answering questions, but it's scripted. And I, I feel like when touring colleges, it was... Some of it was just about, like, feel. Can I see myself here? Do I feel comfortable yeah. here? And none of that is, like the tour like sure you don't get to go see like the best science lab or the best you know auditorium or or whatever is on the tour but what you can do is see like what are these kids doing right now are they all hanging out on the quad are they all hanging out here like what are they doing and do you feel like that's the kind of like I understand that the tour is important but I don't think that not taking the tour makes the visit all not right, productive. I will bear all this in mind yeah last okay. point this is important <laughs> tours are school sponsored yes. propaganda you're not allowed to really answer the questions. Yeah. Like they tell you, you know, you can't say these things. You can't do these things. Also, they definitely have some kind of online tour where you watch the whole thing. Because when I was in school, they had the online yeah, tour. Yeah, everyone, everyone has so online So they definitely tours. have definitely them now. And it was the exact script that we used. It is funny that I attach so much significance to the personal tour led by a student when literally the only thing I remember from my tour at UNC is the tour guide telling the joke about how if you walk past silent Sam and his gun doesn't go off, you're a virgin, but didn't mention anything about silent Sam being a Confederate statue. Yeah. Wait, I also want to say that I feel like for Harper, I could completely understand why the tour makes sense because Harper seems like the kind of person who the tour guide would be her or be her friend. Right. But like Lyra, these are not the people she wants to meet Anyway, like she's, you know, the person you don't think giving Lyra the tour. Elizabeth or a Jamila? She might, I think she, she, she might a Jamila, Jamila, maybe. I was, <laughs> she tolerates me. <laughs> I was, but Elizabeth, yeah, I do feel Elizabeth was going to give the tour that she was supposed to give. Whereas I was like, well, no bad thing. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. What are the odds? Yeah, I don't think it's script. universally true that every tour guide <laughs> sticks to the script. It's not. It hasn't been my experience. But again, like it depends on what script are they sticking to. So she might like my script. You know what I mean? But if she doesn't yeah. like the script, that's the thing. I was interested in the school. I mean, I I went on a week long HBCU tour, and I knew that I wanted to go to Howard when I went on this tour. So I was really just going to get to see Howard for the first time in person because I'd already decided. But like my engagement with the tour had a lot to do with the person that was leading it. And so like if you had somebody, I mean, if the person was super sweet and she was giving school propaganda, I might not have known that if she was sweet and interesting and engaging. Like Elizabeth would give an engaging tour. But if it's like the creep dude who's like, if you go. Go past silent sand. Exactly. Gun doesn't go off. Exactly. That's kind of it for her. You know? I will bear all this in mind and report back <laughs> in February when the answer will be, I didn't get around to it. Now we don't know what to do. It's about the, the vibes. Are still booked. Yeah. It's yeah. about the vibes. Just go up to the campus. Go to the start with I the agree. nearest I think one. Just go. You all are in Virginia. All those schools are right there. I agree. Just go see the vibes. <laughs> go check out the vibes. All right. I'll I'll consider it. All right, Jamila, triumph or fail? So I will, when I get to the end of this, and it's not a long story, but we'll decide. I think I I might be a boat. My favorite kind. So I had a hickey last week. That is is the triumph and that is the fail, I suppose. Sure, The triumph, I have a hickey. Mm -hmm. The fail, I had a hickey. And... The fail is it's not actually 1994. Right. Well, I... I'm glad I didn't have a hickey in 1994 
But for those of you who are eligible, I suppose that's when it ceased to be socially. Was that when? Oh, right, 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 right. (laughs) Stop rubbing it in. 1994, I was 10 years old. So I had a hickey. Circumstances are not important. If you are a person who is listening to this and you feel that you have been wronged or deserve compensation for me telling the hickey story, I think you are wrong because you didn't do anything to prevent me from getting hickey from anybody else. We're going to set up a 1-800 hotline for those who have concerns. If you have concerns, I'd like to hear them. But anyway, so I was able to cover it up. I mean, it was a significant one. I bruised very easily. And so I was able to cover it up with, you know, a little light combination of three different concealers and it was fine. But then there comes a point in which I have to wash. And Naima was here after a couple of days And she looked at me and she said, what happened to your neck? And so I told her that I had an allergic reaction to some skincare products. And she said, wow, okay, that really looks like a, you know, like you got in a fight or something. (laughs) (laughs) She's not wrong in a way. (laughs) Not wrong in a way. And so um, I suppose this is a triumph that will later become a fail. The triumph is that. Until the moment in which Naima becomes very clear what a hickey is and like has that kind of that's so Raven flashback moment. I guess that's not what happens on that's so Raven, but I just see it in her mind. I just see like <laughs> mm-hmm. her face just freezing. And then like you look through her eyes and you're just like records. Right. And we're just going right back to <laughs> so that moment in which I told her that I had an allergic reaction. It's just on the list of things that, you know, when the, the math starts mathing for Naima one day, I'm so curious to see what she comes up. What What does it all add up to you, little girl? I feel, though, that this is the girl that gave herself the skin rash, right? To like, so with some markers. She did. <laughs> so like, I, you know, it's this seems fair. Like you guys are even. We're even now. We, we put each other through You've some stress. You've all had rashes that are not rashes. Yes. I'm going to go ahead and call us a triumph because last week you got a hickey and last week I got asked in the grocery line if I'm eligible for the senior discount. <laughs> no, no, mm-hmm. no, no. I sure did. The Harris Teeter no. in Pittsburgh, North Carolina. <laughs> Thanks a fucking lot, buddy. There's no way. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. That's ridiculous. That's ridi- wow. <laughs> it is ridiculous. Thanks, thanks really feeling very confident as a result of this response. I don't even. What did you even say? I said, no, thank you. I'm not eligible. <laughs> you probably thought you forgot your card at home. Was, yeah. <laughs> People my age are always forgetting their <laughs> shit at home. But it's, it's yeah. oh god, rid- you would be like the white male Halle Berry or some shit. Like, and even Halle <laughs> Berry would not be eligible for the senior disc. You know what I mean? It's like this is That's inconceivable so that any white man would age as well as you and be a senior. So don't you worry. That's very yeah. kind. Yeah. Not a wrinkle but on I that think face. Just took one look at oh. my eyes. <clears throat> And saw. I think he saw your <laughs> salt and pepper hair, Dan. I think that's what he saw. I was wearing a mask. How old, how was, old wearing, was the? He was like twelve. <laughs> I was going like, nowhere then. <laughs> he just was like, "This man is bald." Man is bald. Yeah. <laughs> he, oh, you had on a mask, Dan. You had on a mask. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Naima oh. asked my mother if she was a slave. Children do not have concepts. <laughs> they don't teach these people anything. I don't expect oh a 19-year-old to to 
have a much better gauge on age. Look at how they age people on TV. <laughs> it's all very confusing. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I could play a high schooler on TV. What are you talking about? I know. You could, but Jamila and I would have to play grandma. We'd be that's grandmas. True. That's correct. Yeah, that's fair. Elizabeth, triumph or fail? All right. I am classifying this as a fail, but with the caveat that I don't want anyone else to place their this like unrealistic expectation on themselves <laughs> because I feel like this is probably a very common feeling that feels like failure to me. So I just... In advance, I'm not judging anyone. I'm only judging myself here. So I am in the weeds with school paperwork. I have never been in the weeds with paperwork before. But in particular, it is the special education paperwork for for Henry. And it's like no one was in the school offices till this week, which is totally fine. And our school starts next week. But I had called over the summer to kind of say, like, what are we going to need? Because he is probably going to have to have a couple surgeries and a couple things this year. So I need to, like, figure out the attendance thing, all of that. They're like, oh, no problem. You need this 504 plan from, you know, I'm like, great. Do you have a template for the 504 plan? Oh, no, they're individual. Okay. What are some things someone can get on a 504 plan? You know, like I've never been in a public school in the United States. <laughs> like what, what does this look like? They're like, oh, it's, it's an individual plan. Okay. Uh, they are like, submit to us what you would like, and we will get back to you with if that's acceptable. I'm like, what is this? Unbelievably, Jeff's college roommate's wife is a special education attorney. And so she is like, oh, here's all the things you need to know. But I'm like, not everybody has their, you know, college roommate's wife being a special education attorney. So how like people that have special education children do not have the time to figure out <laughs> what the file for four plan is. Plus, I need like all these forms to have medications taking at school, which I totally understand, right? That we can't just like send medication to school, but it would be so much easier. And they have to be signed by all these doctors, which we don't have because we just moved and are still like getting settled with getting an appointment to pediatricians. So anyway, I just, this week has been just like an administrative <laughs> nightmare. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm driving to school to give out medicines until we figure this out. I have just no idea. Outside the playground <laughs> yeah, fence, like, holding like, is pills. Is that better? Like, okay, here you go. Here are some pills for you, kid. Because they, you know, it's like the doctors are. We have all these specialists, and they are like not here, and the form needs to be signed in this color ink. I'm just like, what is happening? How is this so difficult? It is true that it's, it's funny like, that oh. all these forms are always due right now, the exact month that every doctor in America is on vacation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm like, I can't get these signed, and he needs to take them. At, like while he's in your care and I I you know there's the school is the woman was like well there's just a lot of people that you know try to medicate their their children when they don't need medicine medicated and I'm just thinking like these are the things we're giving Henry are like liver enzymes right you know just <laughs> like he just needs going. this to process his lunch <laughs> Not, there's no there are no side effects there I are no the, the black market liver enzyme <laughs> yes. sales on my school playground like what exactly are like, they afraid what? of some helicopter parent showing up with like a daily dose of Flintstones or something because they can't the, weigh the, in on Adderall and stuff like that so what what are they preventing by making this process that's what I don't understand like all these forms and he has to go to the office and I have to present them in their original bottles but he also needs to take them you know here at home <laughs> so it's and the pharmacy of course won't give you 
two bottles so that you can have one at home and one at school. They don't care about my problem. Um, So I guess I'm going to have to just keep (laughs) bringing them in. The 504 lady told me that they're really worried about Munchausen's and that there are parents just like seeking all this medical care. Is that a real problem in the school district? Because I'm thinking like... Listen, I do. I'm not like gonna have his whatever tonsils removed and all this stuff <laughs> because it's about, fun. Wait a minute, Elizabeth. They make movies when somebody has Munchausen's. It's not like are, this is an epidemic. That is what she told. That is what she told. Now listen, this woman is not. This is the woman who told me there were no forms. She also told me that the only way to get the like absences is that they would just report my absences and then I could go tell the judge at the truancy court that we had medical issues. At which point I said to her, yes, I said, this is not right. I don't know enough about this at this moment to know why this is not right. So this conversation is not going to be productive, but I will call back. Wait a minute. Okay, this is, have you, you've only spoken to this person over the phone. Do you think it's possible you've just been calling the wrong number and somebody's just telling you what she thinks? No, I said, is this the special education office? Like, is this where I turn in the stuff? And then I'm thinking, like, is this woman a temp? Like, is she a temp? Is she, are they giving this advice to everyone? Like, is that, you know. I can't believe I'm asking you this, Elizabeth, but have you asked to speak to her manager yet? (laughs) (laughs) Well, no. Okay, so here, I, that is, I eventually, yes, I need to speak to someone, but I didn't know enough. You know, it's like, okay, if I ask to speak and then this person repeats this to me and I have not educated myself, this is not going to be a productive conversation. So it's like, I was like, I'm going to call back. And I, you know, did some homework, called my, you know, Jeff's roommate's <laughs> wife. And I feel armed now to have a conversation, which I'm going to go in to have, because I also feel like I need to look at someone and say, you understand that can't be right. <laughs> the 504 <laughs> process is a real bear, even when you're dealing with normal people. So uh, yeah, dealing with this person <laughs> seems remarkable. But yeah, it's like a lot. It's a drawn out process that can feel incredibly frustrating, especially when your kid is in some kind of like academic or emotional crisis and you feel like you need a solution right away. But like, you know, it sort of helped me to just remember there are like dozens of other kids going through this process at the school all the time and and an extremely limited department with a limited budget that only has, you know, the bandwidth to deal with a little of this at a time. Yeah. Plus, in the case of your school, it's manned by one woman who's crazy. Yeah. So all of that is a real impediment to getting it done. It's at the di- this is at the district level. I don't want to mm. implicate the school in the woods, but this is at the district level. But yes, I agree with you. I mean, that is what I just keep thinking, like. I feel having a law degree, like feel particularly armed to be able to deal with this. And I just keep thinking like, what about people that have multiple special, you you know, like trying to get these services and it just feels like there are all these barriers and things they're worried about instead of saying like uh, 504 plans are individual, but here are some examples of things we can do. You know, I got all that by going on Facebook onto the pandas group and being like, Hello, pandas, people of Facebook. What do your 504s look like? And then obviously taking that and saying like, okay, well, Henry needs this. He doesn't need that. This will be fine. You know, I have just felt like the weight of that is like unmanageable. I mean, we're getting, I'm getting through it. It's fine. But I am usually so good at paperwork. And then I think like, what about people that are not good at paperwork or not organized or not? Like, how has this process become that we can't you know, serve people. So anyway, my failure is feeling the, the weight of this, even though, like I said, I think it's probably a systematic failure. 
And I know I like can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it has just been like one comical conversation after the next. <laughs> Maybe homeschooling was just easier. Last year when um, unemployment benefits got extended, Ben Mathis-Lilly wrote a really great post for Slate about how applying for unemployment benefits in COVID has for many sort of creative or middle-class people been one of their first actual encounters with something that poor people deal with all the time, which is a set of systems that are ostensibly meant to give you aid, but which are instead built as if you are constantly trying to cheat it and they make it as hard as possible to get the aid that you actually need and deserve. And I think that experience was freshly eye-opening for many people who didn't understand that, in fact, that's what many people go through every day for almost for many things they need in their lives. I think for lots of parents, this is a similar experience and making the connection like this is hard for me. Imagine how hard it is for someone with multiple kids who need these services or who doesn't have an incredible amount of, uh, of financial support or home support or time internet right, or or internet or whatever. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like the, uh, the ideal solution of course would just be that like these services are available if your kid seems to need it and you don't have to jump through all these hoops. But once again, we have a system that's chronically underfunded and doesn't feel like it can offer that. And so you end up with this totally onerous process that is a, that is very difficult to work your way through, uh, even, even from a position of privilege. I totally agree. I should say there are a number of nonprofits that are around to help people deal with these. And we haven't gone that route because I have felt like I shouldn't be a candidate for using those services when I have all these other services, but I did discover that there are like groups of people out there helping people file and do this. But again, all of this to like, like one of the items we're asking for is just that like Henry can use the bathroom without having to ask and without attention being brought to it because when he's in a flare, he may have to go two or three times in an hour. It just seems it, it, that is the thing that's, that is semi crazy to me is like all of this, you know, and, and being informed that, like, well, the school might say, like, can it be once a period or once? A, it's like, until he abuses it, like, if he abuses it, call me in and we'll have a conversation about it, you know? But it's these small things that I know will just make the school experience better for him and him able to participate without, you know, all the attention be put on him for something that's not his fault. But anyway, it's very frustrating. I'm there with you for anyone that is going through this. I... I yeah, everyone keeps telling you once you get it done, though, it's done, and then they can carry it with them. I'm sure that's not true. We have <sighs> to we have to rediscuss it every single year. Like, it's easier, but you still have to go through, you still have to redo Great. it every year. Great. Yeah. I just think it's important that you well, don't give yourself a fail for that. Nothing about simply being in the weeds on paperwork and that making this already ridiculous process more challenging is a fail. Well, thank you. It just feel I feel like I hold myself to the standard of being able to manage it and it feels very like, you know, like what is this? But Dan, you're absolutely right. It's like a good God, I've just had all these moments of how does someone else who doesn't have the resources that I have do this? And why is this, you know, the the way that we're doing this? But anyway. <laughs> well, with that, we are going to take care of a little bit of business. First, please subscribe to the show. It helps us out, plus the show automatically shows up in your feed. So it's good for you and for us. And if you want even more of our show, you should become a Slate Plus member. You'll get a whole bonus segment every single week. Here's a sneak peek of what you could hear today. And then years later, when I was in college, I went with my dad back to Camp Minicani for a board meeting. He was still on the board. And the the then director of camp, who was a new guy, 
was like, oh, do you want to look at your camper file? We have all our camper files on paper. You can look at your, you know, from when you were seven, you can look at when you, how your counselor wrote about how homesick you were and you cried all the time. And I was like, yeah, I'll look at those. I looked through them all. And so then I I look at the camper file for my Explorer year, the year before I applied to be an LT. And my counselor, a guy named Jim, there's a whole section in the back that's like, do you recommend this camper for leadership training? And the first sentence, I'll never forget this. The first sentence in that section was, Dan is possibly the most annoying kid I've ever met in my entire life. And then it just went on from there. It was like a page long litany of what a fucking pain in the ass I was. It turned out he hated me. Could not have so hated me tanked, more. He tanked your camp. He tanked my application. Career. Oh my God. And, uh, and that's why I never was a the counselor. power of words. Not only will you get fun extra segments like that, but you'll even get bonus episodes for shows like Political Gab Fest and Slate's Working Podcast, and you get unlimited reading on the Slate website without ever hitting the paywall again. So if you want to support us and support Slate, sign up for Slate Plus. It's just $1 for the first month. Go to slate.com slash momanddadplus. Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all our parenting content, including mom and dad are fighting, care and feeding, and much more. It's a personal email to you each week, so sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. But first, let's take a quick break. And we're back. All right, on to our first listener question. It's being read, as always, by the spectacular Shasha Leonard. Hi, mom and dad. My son is just about to turn 10. Like many kids, he struggled a bit in the friend department. This is a question about one friend, a boy, I'll call C. C can be nice, but I most often feel like he doesn't treat my son well. He's called my son a jerk, called him stupid, and made fun of him for having two moms. He told him, I never wanted to be friends with you, but my mom made me because you have no friends. I mean, stuff that cuts deep and breaks my heart when I see it on Discord. My boy will say that he's done with C, that it's over, then go right back to being friends with him. We've talked about how friends should treat each other, that some folks lash out when they're feeling left out or insecure. But how else can I support my son? If I acted upon my knee-jerk reaction, I'd cut off contact with this kid. But is that the right thing to do? I think you have every right to cut off contact with this kid. However, if you don't want to, I won't say rush because this has been going on for a while, but if it, if you don't want to take such a drastic approach, have you thought about speaking to C's parents? This is not just regular, oh, we have a disagreement, we say a main thing to each other, like using the fact that your son has two moms as fodder for harassment is not okay. And it's, it's certainly not the sort of thing that you want your child to accept in a friendship, but it's a little bit different than him just simply saying like, oh, you can't dress or you're stupid or you're, you know what I mean? Like, which are painful insults as well. But like this relationship is dangerous to me in a specific way that I I think you really need to talk to this kid's parents. What is not entirely clear here, you say this is how he treats your son most often. So is it that this kid is mean throughout their exchanges? You know, like in general, if they're just playing in the park, he's calling him names or, you know, not taking turns on the swings or whatever. Or is it that whenever there's a point of tension between them, he lashes out 
and gets mean. But either way, I think that's certainly a conversation for the boy's parents. And if they are not willing to perhaps work with you uh, or to, you know, to say we are going to talk to our son and this behavior is not acceptable and the way that he treats your child will be different going forward. And that is actually the what happens. I can't imagine any other circumstances in which it would it makes sense for you to allow your son to continue to be his friend. And even with that, if your heart is telling you, like, I want to cut this off here, I think you absolutely should, you know, and that you still tell this child's parents because there should be accountability beyond just simply the loss of a friend. You know, it's important to know that you cannot treat people this way that there will be consequences for your actions and that your parents will be made aware of the sort of things that you're doing. This isn't, you know, this is just completely unacceptable. And the fact that it's on Discord, your son needs to know that the way that people treat him matters, that it's not to be taken lightly, and that you have choices about who you allow to be in your life. You even have choices, you know, uh, about continuing to have a relationship with your parents when you grow up, right? Who you choose to have around you is up to you. If you choose people that do not treat you well, you cannot expect to feel well. You're not going to feel good if you allow someone like that around. And so that's where I see it. Dan, what do you think? I really feel for this letter writer it's a very hard situation to be in when you feel like your kid is struggling to make friends and at least there's someone, but then the relationship is that toxic. I mean, the kid is a real shithead. That is clear. And, and yet your son keeps going back to him for whatever reason. And that I think is the thing that is going to create the struggle. Should you, take Jamila's advice and the thing that you sort of want to do and, and break this off because you have a kid who probably knows that he should break this off, but hasn't done it yet. And maybe it's simply because he needs someone like you to step in and just do it. But maybe it's because he, there is something he is getting out of this relationship that he still really needs, despite all the bullshit that this kid is putting him through. And if you do step in and break this relationship off, which I agree, you are totally within your rights to do. You need to be prepared for your son, possibly not treating that as a relief, but instead treating that as something very hard and difficult that you have done to him. And all those conversations you've had with him and will continue to have with him about how a friend should treat you, about what he, how he deserves to be treated are, are good and crucial, but they won't necessarily solve that problem for him right then. And so I'm going to throw out just some like extremely square suggestions, but like this seems like a kid who it would do him such good to be in like Cub Scouts or like a little theater group locally, or just something that can suck up a little bit of free time can give you a sort of ready-made community of people who you just hang out with in, in the service of some task. And you don't know that close friends are necessarily going to come out of that, but that gives your child something to focus on. That isn't just this one friend who you're no longer allowing him to see. And maybe you're doing all those things already and that your child is still struggling or that those don't fill up enough time. But if you don't have those kinds of fairly benign, basically 
semi boring to adult eyes kid activities that kids really dig, you should look into that for sure because that is at least one way to help both divert your child away from this kid and start to assemble a ready-made group of people who could be other friends. I think that's all such good advice. And I kind of had like a two prong plan, which is one, like as a parent, you can help with the phase out of this friend. So without having to kind of say like, you can never hang out with this friend, you can just occupy his time with something else. Like, like Dan talked about, find another group of friends, because if he finds good friends, he will stop hanging out with the bad friend. So I think that, and I I think the other thing is if there are times that there are these typical interactions, you can just phase out those times, plan something else for you guys to do during the time he normally goes and plays, you know, outside or wherever you're interacting with this child. Or like when he says, can so-and-so come over? Be like, it's inconvenient for me right now. Let's do this. Oh, and let's have this other friend over. Fill that time with something out and just help him kind of phase this kid out. I think the other thing is that you need to have a conversation with your son that this is not the kind of friend you want for him. Like saying up front, I don't think C is a good friend for you. I see or hear the things he says, and you deserve better than that. You could also ask why he keeps going back. Like maybe there's something that they do together that they really enjoy. But I think also as a parent, you have this opportunity to sort of voice this like, I know that you seem to like to hang out with them and I just want better for you. And I know that better is out there. Whether you talk to the parents, you know, I think Jamila offers a really great example of going to do that. And you can definitely do that. I I agree that this child should be held accountable for some of the things that he's saying are bullying. They're not just like, hey, I'm mad, but, you know, you don't have any friends or I only hang out with you because you're my mom makes me like those sort of things are I think start to skirt that line of just like things friends say when they fight. But I think there's also these gentle ways to just kind of replace that time with other stuff. And whether that be Boy Scouts and then reaching out to do to the Boy Scouts you're hanging out with or going, you know, doing community service as a family together or whatever that is and finding other families and other kids who like to do the same things he likes to do and just kind of phasing C out and bringing in some new people that that are a better a better fit. I love the idea of phasing him out. We've all had to phase someone out. Just give him the old Irish goodbye. The other thing I'd say is that (laughs) if you stay in this neighborhood and if his family stays in this neighborhood, there's going to come a time two or three or four years down the road in which C is once again part of your kid's life, maybe positively and maybe negatively. And you should be prepared for that. But you should also be prepared for the possibility that C will be different then. Kids really change a lot. Kids who who are lashing out for whatever reason can find peace or find happiness or just get mature and stop being total dicks. That happens a lot more frequently with kids than it ever does with adults. Once you're an adult, if you're a dick, you're pretty much a dick, but with kids, it happens all the time. And so I want you to make sure as a parent that if two or three years down the road, your kid is, is suddenly hanging out with C again, that you come into that with, you know, a fresh heart, and be willing to accept the possibility that it could one day be an okay friendship. Right now, it's definitely not. And if you choose to cut it off, that is a totally fine decision. But it could be an okay friendship somewhere down the line and be prepared for that or be prepared for it being shitty again and you having to do something again. Well, letter writer, I hope that's helpful. And uh, we'd love to hear how things go between your son and C. So please send us an update. 
Other listeners, if you have a question that you'd like us to take a stab at, you can email us at slate.com. We're going to take a quick break. Back to the show. All right. So now we're on to our second listener question. Take it away, Shasha. Dear mom and dad, lately, I've been talking a lot about my daughter in front of her, which is something I always wanted to consciously avoid. But man, it's harder than I thought. She's two. I'm a single parent. And there's a pandemic. So we're just together. A lot. Of course, I avoid venting my frustrations about her to other people in front of her. But she's around for nearly any phone call or the few in-person conversations I have. If I'm on the phone with my mom talking about her day, of course I'm talking about my daughter. I try to involve her in the conversation, but again, she's two. Do you have any tips on how to avoid this or assurances that once we're not together nearly 24-7, it'll naturally happen less often? I need you two to tell me what the fuck this is about. <laughs> I don't get this at all. I And looking back at my now 16 years of parenthood, it seems to me that I talk about my kids in front of my kids all the time to their grandparents, to our friends, to their friends' parents, to a listenership of tens of thousands on a podcast. <laughs> And it hasn't ever seemed like a problem to me. Like, I definitely understand that parents in general just talk about their kids too much because we're boring and we have nothing else to talk about. And we, at some point, don't even have time to see movies or read books. But, like, I don't quite get the valence of this question, what it is that she is concerned about and what the damage is she's trying to avoid. So I want to hear from you guys what what it she means. I suspect that she at some point in her childhood maybe overheard some stuff about herself that may have made her uncomfortable. Like, I don't know. It feels personal in a way like that. She's perhaps worried about creating some sort of anxiety in her child as related to feeling judged or scrutinized by being spoken about. I guess I'm also a little bit unclear. I think there's a lot of, literature now about making sure you're not labeling or putting words into your children's mouth, like describing their experience for them or that like them overhearing you constantly saying like, well, you know, she's fussy or she's high maintenance or well, she's not good at math, like these sort of things then becomes the voice in their head. So how do you like seek advice about parenting or like tell someone vent your frustrations, particularly as a single mom? I don't know. I could relate to this because the time I have to talk is when I have all the kids here. Mm -hmm. And so how do I like have these conversations about things that we're doing without my kids thinking that something is wrong with them? Right. Like how do I say these things or without them taking on that anxiety or stress of like, uh, these are a problem for mom because of us or mom thinks that we are X. So we must be X, you know, like why well, must be trouble? Like those sort of things. I, I did think like, to me, there's two different things she's talking about is sort of the stuff that I, I was just talking about. And then like phone conversations in which she's just talking about the things her kids do. And that I think is like totally fine. Like if you're calling your mom and you're like, we did this today and we did this and she's sitting there. I think there's no harm in that, right? You're describing your day and the fun things you did. 
But I think she's worried about like, how do I do the venting that a mom who's alone with her kids needs to do without then making it seem like I hate spending time with you and you are the reason that I'm not productive or I can't get this done or any of that kind of unspoken things that when moms or dads vent, we know that the the underlying nature is like, I still very much love you and I I choose you every time, right? Mm-hmm. But it's still annoying. How do you do that in front of your kid? That's okay. That's how I read it at first. And then Dan got me confused. I'm like, wait, is she yeah. worried about something else? <laughs> Maybe she's afraid that like too much talk about her will make her anxious or nervous or insecure, which I do think that on some level there could be, you know, I heard some things about myself that made me insecure or I'm afraid of making her insecure because like Elizabeth said, like I want to vent. You have to learn to distract her, you know, like you have to, you're, <laughs> yes. you're, and don't get me wrong. Do not think for a minute. And I learned this the hard way, just because your child is distracted that she's not taking things in because my oh, yeah. daughter she's always listening. is the, she is a court reporter. Okay. Like she <laughs> will run back conversations she's heard and, you know, very easily. But if there is something that you can do, especially while your daughter's on the younger side to otherwise occupy her brain so that your conversation is so much less interesting, you know, maybe you could get her some headphones, you know, they make those for little people, you know, or this can be the time that she's watching the television show with the loud sing-songy music, you know, like, There's ways where she can like not hear you despite being in the same place. And I think that, you know, even if you're in very close living quarters and you don't get a lot of time apart, you can keep her, you know, effectively distracted so that she's not like all in your mouth when you're talking about like the fact that you're ready to have your bed back to yourself, for example. I just don't. It is hard for me to imagine your child hearing you say, I'm ready to have my bed back to myself as anything other than a positive. Like, you really want your bed back to you for yourself. I just feel like I feel like a certain amount of obviously not abusive, but normal human venting about the things about parenting that are hard is not actually all that unhealthy for kids to hear and is in fact a little more realistic than I think the version of our lives that people often try to present to kids, which is that everything is effortless and no, there's no ever, never any problems and we're always going to be great. Like maybe, maybe I'm totally wrong and my kids are, and I am the cause of my children's anxiety (laughs) disorders or whatever, because I sometimes I'm like, boy, this is a huge pain in my ass. But like, I don't actually think it's that damaging to a kid to sometimes know that the that while you love them and as Elizabeth says you will always choose them over whatever in fact the planets do not revolve around them. But I think knowing that is very different than when you uh, maybe this is just me text your friend Teddy's being a total asshole today which sure, is Sure, you shouldn't some, say that. Right. But I feel like when you are with your kids 24/7 and you are it There is not someone to come relieve those little kids from you. Mm -hmm. It is like, if you don't say that, you're going to scream in their face. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be like, hey, whatever you do, (laughs) like, please continue to have those conversations with whoever you need to have those conversations with. Because some days it is just that venting to my friend, which I do via text because that keeps it from me, you know, like screaming. I feel like those things sometimes you need to say, even just for the like cathartic nature of being able 
to call your kid a bad word. But that's that's the kind of thing that I do think, like, if my kids heard me complaining about, like, I can't get Oliver to sit still and, like, do his schoolwork. Like, what is wrong with him? Like, those are the types of things I'm texting my, you know, like, homeschool friends because I need that from them. But it is not something that I want Oliver to ever know, even though I say to him, hey, it's really hard because you won't sit still or I can't seem to get you at the table, right? Like, the tone and everything in which I tell him that is very different from how I want to convey it to my friends for my own satisfaction. Yeah, Dan, you don't want your kids. I think there's a lot of value to kids every once in a while seeing that you're just about to fucking lose it. I mean, they know that too. I think, but there's a difference between like letting your kids know. You know, I tell Naima a lot. I talk about it being challenging being a single parent, you know, that I have to sometimes just remember there's just one of me and I get overwhelmed. This is a lot. Adulting is a lot. You're a lot. Everything's a lot. I signed up for this. I choose this. I'm happy to do this. But that doesn't mean it's not difficult. You know, I I think that's important that all parents are transparent with their children about the difficulties of parenting and adulthood you know, in an age appropriate way. But it is important that you have spaces away from their little ears where you can really kind of go in. Like you may need to say, you know, and I'm actually not like, I never say, believe it or not, I would like, I wouldn't describe Naeem as annoying, you know, but I'll say like, she's back in my womb again, you know, like they're just things that (laughs) I, and I guess she actually has heard that terminology and she always says it like, that's where I'm trying to be, you know, but um. You absolutely, you need somebody, you need an outlet, you need a lifeline, you know, and as a single parent, since Naima was born, right, there was never another person, you know, her dad and I communicate about her, but that's not the same as having somebody in the house who you can, you know, and when Naima was your child's age, we were not fraternizing in that way where I would just be like, oh my God, she's doing this, you know, to somebody who could like respond and be like, I know, right, find another parent you know, find a friend who who has a kid or just somebody who's got an empathetic ear. And like, you're still a relatively new parent with a two-year-old, you know, friends of people with young children don't always know how to help out what they can do. And at times they really do want to be helpful, you know, and, and especially if they're not somebody who can offer childcare or just come through bearing gifts and, you know, resources on a regular basis. It's like, what can I do to be useful to you? Well, one way that a friend of yours or a family member who wants to be of service to you uh, can be helpful is to be your lifeline to just say, hey, you know, I I may send this at 11 o'clock at night. And if you're not up and you don't respond, it's fine. Like, I'm not expecting an immediate response at all times. Like, I just need a place where I can, like, share these thoughts. Like, I need to kind of scream it via text to someone. You know who would be totally on my side in this question is official slate yelling at your kid's correspondent, Allison Benedict. <laughs> you're absolutely right that texting is the is like the answer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or after bedtime. But I mean, Dan, you've never had a conversation you want to have about your kids not in front of them? Of course I have. But I also think that uh, it seems to me that there are plenty of conversations that this woman is potentially worried about having in front of your child, which are actually fine to have in front yeah, of your child. So I agree with that because like when she's talking about talking with her mom, it's like you're allowed to talk about your kid in front of your kid. That's okay. But I also also allowed to sometimes complain about your kid in front of your kid. Yeah, totally. In a yes, I I don't think that she should never. The baby is two years old, Dan. 
But also the baby, yeah. <laughs> baby can barely understand anything. This motherfucker won't even try a pull up. Like you can't say that in earshot of a baby. <laughs> you know? Like I think there is this notion that like we shouldn't be talking about our kids in in front of them. I think mm-hmm. that notion is out there. And so I I agree that we should like slightly relieve her of that burden, but also say like doesn't your kid go to bed at like five like schedule your call with your mom at seven Mm -hmm. and then vent away but what if she keeps her kid up till 11 like i did so she could sleep until seven in the morning well then well yeah okay so and (laughs) are living on a different time zone you know from your friends and family right like there are any number of yeah that's true that's true doing it after bed is not always the easiest answer which is why i recommend having a a text chain you know somewhere where oh well text is yes (laughs) Jamila is right, too, that even if your kid is watching TV, they will definitely hear it. Do you guys feel as though your children have superhuman hearing, like Spider-Man level hearing? Yes. Yes. We will be in the dining room, Ali and I, like, like murmuring about something about Lyra and, you know, 50 yards away or whatever in her room, she'll be like, what? I heard that. (laughs) Like I can barely hear what Jeff's saying. Yes, right? that happens right. to me all I the can't, time. Saying, I can't hear anything like, because of too many rock and roll concerts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. My hearing's gone. Yeah, I agree. That's the. I mean, that is the. That is her problem. Times a thousand, except that her kids also too. Right. So she wants to know if it's going to get better. I feel like yes, because your child will start leaving the house. Right. But no, yeah, yeah. because their hearing will get better, yeah, as yeah. will their understanding. Right, and their ability to repeat back to you what you just said. But like years later. And your hearing will get worse as you approach senior citizenhood like I have. As you know. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know that we helped this person at all. But, Absolutely. I think you just but, laughed at your problem and I'm sorry. Well, yeah. But we we appreciate you for writing in. And if you have an update at some point, we would we would love to know. Or if you've just decided that one of us is right, we always love to know that. Or that Dan is wrong. And he won't be here to defend himself. Or if you just want to write in and tell us some of the annoying things about your kid. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know. We'll read them out loud. Yeah. (laughs) Then you don't have to. Then it'll be us talking about your kid. Well, to the rest of our listeners out there, if you're looking for some excellent parenting advice, well, that's what we try to do. So please email us at slate.com. All right. We are going to move on to recommendations. So Jamila, what do you have for us? I am recommending. Okay. So... Much to my dismay, uh, Naima has not fallen in love with reading in the way that I had long before I turned eight. I could like sit and read before I do anything else, but there are also so many less exciting options way back in in the uh, 90s. So I, I suppose I'm sympathetic, but there's a book we got recently that she dove into in a way that just made me so excited and made me feel like, okay, you know, it's getting there. She reads, she likes to read, but it's not a love affair with books the way I want it to be a love affair with books. And this book is called Twins by Varian Johnson and Shannon Wright. And it's about uh, Maureen and Francine who are twins and besties and they find themselves running against each other for class president and it tears them apart. And it's so adorably illustrated 
They're little brown skinned girls with big Afro puffs and they're just super cute. And they've got a cute family. And she was so into it. There are not a lot of graphic novels or not enough graphic novels featuring characters of color. And there's certainly not enough of them, I think, for girls, or I should say, rather that feature girls as lead characters. And this one has cool, interesting girls as lead characters. And it's a fun read. Naima loved it. So Twins by Varian Johnson and Shannon Wright. That sounds amazing. I, I we're very into graphic novels, so I hope is it like a is it a series or no, just one? I think it's just the one. I was hoping it was a series when I saw it. It felt very yes, series. Yeah, it seemed really but, like um, hey, it seems to be one of one. But I, I hope they expand it into a. Yeah, series. I wouldn't worry. Basically, any even <laughs> slightly successful kids graphic novel immediately becomes a series of like ten. Excellent. All right, Dan, what do you have for us? I looked back through the old recommendations. I don't think I've ever recommended this before, but if I have, just consider how I just continue to love it. We're watching season two of Never Have I Ever on Netflix right now. A totally delightful teen show about an Indian American high schooler in California. It's an extremely funny look at second generation immigrant life, plenty of romance and friend drama and science jokes. It's super funny, super cute, very awkward at times, but our whole family really digs it a lot. It's a great show. Check it out. Sounds great. Well, I'm in school supply mode, so I'm going to recommend my favorite little trio of lunch packing supplies that I'm excited to be like digging out on a on a regular basis. So the first is like for the lunchbox, we use this thing called the Packet Freezable Classic Lunchbox, and the whole lunchbox is an ice pack. And so you put the whole thing in the freezer, and when you pull it out, you can just pack the lunch in there and it stays cold. There's no like extra lunchbox. Uh, it wipes clean. And inside of that, I put the yum box, which is like a bento box, but it fits perfectly inside this this lunchbox. It keeps everything kind of separated. There's room for all different kinds of things. I, it's great because you can put a little like salsa or dip or different things, plus keeps everything nice and separated. And then because my kids like to take like a little sandwich or something, and that doesn't always fit inside the yum box, I use the bees wrap to wrap that up. And that also will fit in in the lunchbox with the yum box. So it's it's really great as long as the kids bring, I have to make sure they always bring home the beeswax paper. That is going to be the one challenge. We've been, you know, mostly packing lunches for picnics and things like that. But I really love it and it keeps their lunches like nice and they get excited about it. And it's super easy for me because everything cleans and is either dishwasher or wiped down. So that is my lunch packing trio for you. Well... That's it for our show. So one last time, if you have a question for us, please email us at slate.com or of course you can post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Morgan Flannery. For Jamila Lemieux and Dan Coyce, I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. Thanks for listening. See you in 2022. <laughs>